The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. I am Bill Donahue. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night. It's the sixth day of March 2022. Our engineer, Brian Graves, with us as always is right across the way. I'm happy to welcome you aboard tonight. Glad you could be with us. Tonight we have with us, well, very simply a legend, an icon in American sports, the Golden Jet, Bobby Hull, will join us. Then we'll welcome in former Yankees outfielder Rupert Jones. So just sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Some great people, some great sports talk and memories up ahead tonight. As always, we'd like to follow us on Facebook. We're out there. Social media is rampant here at the studios. Uh, we are on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Donahue, WGBB, and all past shows. They're out on the website, so if you miss one, don't worry about it. They're all out there, and you can listen to them whenever you want. Well, I'm honored tonight to introduce our first guest. He is regarded as one of the greatest players of all time. His uh, skating speed, end-to-end rushes, the ability to shoot the puck at a high velocity earned him the nickname, of course, the Golden Jet. 23 years in the NHL and the World Hockey Association, played for the Blackhawks, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Hartford Whalers. He won the Hart Memorial Trophy as the NHL's most valuable player twice, and the Art Ross Trophy three times. And he won the Stanley Cup with the Chicago Blackhawks in 1961. He was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto in 1983. It's great to welcome to the show tonight, Bobby Hull. Bobby, good evening. Good evening, guys. If you're going to interview me, you're going to have to speak a lot louder than that. Okay. This old dad's ears aren't as good as they used to be. I hear you, Bobby. Okay, no worries. Now, you grew up in Ontario. Who were your favorite uh, sports stars? Who were your idols when you grew growing up, Bobby? Uh, we, I'm, I'm from a family of 11. Wow, okay. And three brothers, and uh, we didn't have any TV to speak of, uh, and our big film radio didn't work all that well, uh, so... We had to uh, get our information about the NHL from people that had a TV and those that had more money than my mother and father uh, uh, had a TV set that worked, radio that worked. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only way we uh, heard about the NHL was... Uh, every once in a while, some of those trading cards would pass through, and uh, uh, one of the more affluent kids in our hometown of Point Anne, Ontario, 500 people and 600 dogs, <laughs> would have their spokes to, to make a, a noise in their their bicycles. Right. We, yeah. We could put a bicycle, so... 
I really didn't have any uh, uh, idols, so to speak. My father was uh, my coach. He told me, uh, Robert, you skate this way, you skate that way, you shoot this way, you shoot that way, you pass this way, you pass that way, you stop this way, and you stop that way. So I didn't really get into any bad habits mm -hmm. uh, when I was, was a kid. If I did have a bad habit, it was wanting that biscuit uh, at every game that I played in a minor hockey game. Right. I wanted that biscuit uh, to uh, uh, show the folks whether there were six in the stands or 60 or 6,000 or six, uh, 22,000. I wanted all eyes on me. There you go. Right from the start. Now, what was the most difficult part, Bobby, of the transition from uh, a Canadian junior player to the great city of Chicago and uh, professional hockey when you were 18 years old? I was. I, I wasn't really ready for professional hockey. Uh, I, I was fortunate that the Blackhawks were in a rebuilding uh, time, something like they are now. And uh, uh, I was given a chance at the early age of it, of 18, uh, when I had still had a couple of years of junior left, uh, and, and I had to uh, uh, play against people that were seasoned. And the uh, first two years in Chicago, they were they were tough. I, uh, I wasn't really ready. Uh, I wasn't a great uh, junior uh, player. Uh, but after those first two years, I got the hang of things. And in the third year, uh, I got playing with some pretty good people and Billy Hay and Murray Balfour. And I, I won the scoring championship uh, uh, for the first time in uh, uh, after my, my third year. Right. We're speaking with the Golden Jet tonight, Bobby Hull. Now, you uh, in 1966, Bobby, the first NHL player to score more than 50 goals in a season. You bypassed uh, the Rocket Richard and Bernie Drefion's own mark. Uh, your 51st goal, you scored it on Cesar Maniago of the Rangers, and you received that night a seven-minute standing O from the Chicago Stadium crowd. Do you remember that night? I'll never forget it. it. Was one of the great nights of my life, and uh, uh, my 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 father always said, "I you'll never score fifty goals." And, uh, <laughs> and then when I scored fifty goals, ah, you'll never do this. You know, and uh, uh, doing what I did was it was not so much. Um, uh, for myself, but it was for my family and, and to show my father that uh, uh, I could do things that he said I, I couldn't do. And the, the fans in Chicago were fabulous. Uh, they did give me a, uh, a standing ovation for a number of, of minutes. And I remember going to the bench uh, to my uh, line mates. Phil Esposito and Chico Mackey, and I stood with them uh, with with the hair standing up in the back of my neck, 
And they said, Bobby, how do you feel? Do you feel the same way we do? I said, <laughs> God, if there was a big crack in the ice, I'd like to go get down there and go in it. I was what <laughs> embarrassed. And uh, it, it was a wonderful time in my life. And uh, I think for the Chicago fans, and, and uh, I'll never, ever forget it. What a great night, definitely. Now, you played with the great Stan Makita, and you guys popularized the curved blade in, in hockey. Now, what do you think of the sticks today compared to that, uh, the curved hockey uh, blades on the sticks that you guys, I know you played with a Northland stick most of your career. What about the modern hockey sticks compared to what you guys used back then? Well, I, I wish that could have played uh, with uh, 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 at the time that I could use one of these uh, newfangled sticks. Yeah. Uh, I don't really, I can't really uh, tell you how good they were or how bad they were or uh, weren't, but uh, uh, I just uh, I just like the feel of the old wooden Northland stick mm -hmm. and uh, uh, when I see uh, players uh, who use the, the modern stick uh, I just wonder if uh, uh, just what I could have done had I uh, had I been able to use one or whether it would have been uh, solid enough uh, that I could uh, uh, Put the pressure on uh, the handle of, of the, these modern-day sticks, like I did the old Northland, uh, mm -hmm. to jettison the puck. Uh, I don't know whether they would have stood up to the the power. You got guys uh, today firing that puck uh, and firing it hard, and uh, I don't. I can't. I can't really uh, compare. Mm -hmm. uh, because I never got to use them. I just know when Brent when Brent Hall would come into town and I'd check his three or four or six that he'd have ready for game day. Uh, I used to salivate. They, every one of them <laughs> uh, perfect hook, uh, perfect weight, perfect length, perfect stiffness. And, and I always thought that I would love to have played uh, with that kind of ammunition uh, uh, being able to shoot the puck. I, I used to order a dozen Northlands and maybe out of the dozen I might have three that were good enough to use uh, without me getting the torch out and getting the rasp out and remodeling them to my liking. Mm-hmm. Understood, Bobby. Definitely. Bobby Hull with us tonight. Now, your slap shot, Bob, was once clocked at 118.3 miles per hour. You could skate, they say, 29.7 miles per hour. Now, during your drive uh, to eclipse the 50-goal mark, your wrist shot was claimed to be harder than your slap shot. What do you say about that? Don't you believe that? Don't you believe that? <laughs> whoever, whoever said that, uh, they were having pipe dreams. Uh, <laughs> I could I could drill the puck uh, when I slapped it much harder than one. I wrist it. My wrist shot 
though uh, I will uh, I will brag that uh, when that puck hit my stick, uh, it wasn't there for but a, a millimeter of a second before it was jettisoned towards the goal, and uh, I, I was able to shoot the puck quickly, get it away quickly, and uh, uh, catch the goaltenders by surprise. Definitely. Now, everybody who followed the Blackhawks during your, your uh, switch over to the World Hockey Association, the Blackhawk fans remem- remember that. What do you think is the most misunderstood conception about your decision to transition to the World Hockey Association? I don't know how uh, uh, everyone thought, mm-hmm. but uh, my idea was that uh, the NHL... Uh, was for so many years an original six league, and uh, uh, there were a lot of smaller outlying areas, uh, smaller uh, populated areas in Canada and the United States that uh, were looking for professional hockey, but weren't allowed uh, or or couldn't. Uh, put up a building or have a building uh, big enough that uh, seat enough people to be a part of the uh, so-called original six. Uh, and uh, uh, the way I felt, we were te- we were bringing professional hockey to areas uh, that uh, had not uh, seen professional hockey. Uh, in person, uh, Hockey Night in Canada brought hockey to the shut-ins and people from the East Coast to the West Coast. And, uh, and I'll have to remember uh, Foster Hewitt when I got a little older. Uh, uh, he used to thrill me by saying, uh, Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. This was before uh, Newfoundland was in the Dominion. And uh, uh, I thought that we uh, did a service not only to the the smaller populated areas in Canada and the United States, but we gave a lot of great young players a chance to play professional hockey uh, by uh, enlarging the league I know the NHL was uh, had expanded at that time, but uh, uh, I wanted to give the our we players uh, a uh, a chance to broaden uh, our wares and uh, uh, have a, a league that could compete with the NHL and uh, pay paid the kind of money that I thought uh, some of the great players uh, deserved. Should be making, right. I agree with you, Bobby, for for sure. Now, you you played on the hotline with uh, two guys that we remember here, of course, with the Rangers. Uh, There was Swedish gentleman, Anders Hedberg, Ulf Nielsen. Uh, you, You later 
teamed back up with those guys when you, you were in training camp with the Rangers. We'll talk about that in a little bit. People may not know that Bobby Hull was a Ranger for a while, but talk to us a little bit about your Swedish teammates, Hedberg and Nielsen. And I can't say enough about Anders and Alfie. Uh, I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, our Dr. Jerry Wilson was on a sabbatical in Sweden, and he called back to Winnipeg uh, after my uh, second year, I believe, and said, Bobby, there are a couple of Swedes over here that you would just love to play with. <laughs> I said, Jerry, if they can, if, if they can skate and handle that biscuit and have good hearts, good heads and good hearts, get them to hell over here because I'm sick of the way some of these guys, these North Americans, uh, are taking, uh, hockey for granted and, uh, riding on other people's coattails. And, uh, when I first, first time out on the ice with these two guys, um, it was like tinker, tinkers to ever's by chance. <laughs> uh, it was, <laughs> it, it was a, it, it was a joy to finally find, um, two players, uh, that, uh, I could play with all over the ice. Uh, I used to, uh, be all over the ice like a can of worms and, um, I know my right wingers, especially Chico Mackey, wondered what the hell was I doing over on the right side when I should have been over uh, rubbing my rear end against the boards on the left side. But <laughs> I, my dad at a very young age said, Robert, you see that 200 by 85? Well, every inch of that is yours. Go where there's open ice. And uh, I remembered that. And uh, all of a sudden I... I'm playing with two guys in Anders and Alfie uh, that felt the same way I did. And uh, we went together like ham and eggs uh, right from the beginning. And uh, after uh, being on the ice with them, the first uh, scrimmage uh, with the college team in Winnipeg, uh, I said uh, to anyone that would listen uh, this year, there's going to be three shooting them in and four fishing them out. And it didn't take long for us to prove uh, how well we could play and how well we could control the game and uh, put the biscuit in the basket. Wonderful guys, Andy Hedberg and Ulf Nielsen, Bobby, that's for sure. Now, when you went to Hartford, tell us about finally teaming up with the great Gordie Howe. <laughs> that was... Uh, uh, I, I had no idea what was going on, except I knew that I didn't want to be in Winnipeg playing for two people that didn't uh, have the game's interest at heart, John mm -hmm. Ferguson and Tom McPhee. Uh, I didn't think they thought the same way I did about the game of hockey, and uh, I couldn't put up with uh, the, the, the likes of Tommy McPhee as a, as a coach and uh some of the antiques of, of one John Ferguson. And so I went AWO well and uh, ended up at uh, uh, Hartford. that uh, uh, knew that I wasn't happy in Winnipeg and uh, got in touch with me and uh, said, how would you like to 
come to Winnipeg or to uh, Hartford and play with uh, your old idol, uh, Gordon Howe, and not only Gordon but uh, uh, Davy Keon and a bunch of other great players. And and I said, get me the hell out of Winnipeg, and uh, I'll be happy to finish my career the last uh, six or eight games of my career uh, with the Hartford Whalers and uh, it was a joy playing with with Gordon Howe and, and David Keon and the rest of those great kids that I ended up playing with the last few games of my career. Fantastic days in, in Hartford, that's for sure. Bobby Hull with us tonight on the program. The Summit Series in 72, Bobby. Tell us your impressions of playing against the Soviets in the in the Summit Series. Well, sir, if there was one big disappointment in my uh, career, it was not being able to represent Canada uh, against the, the Soviets. I knew that if they were going to challenge the best, and that was the NHL at that time, that they had a good chance of winning or tying. And uh, if I had been asked to play, uh, I could have brought that to the rest of the guys in the fact that, guys, let's get ready for these people because that was the only their only positive uh, way they had of, of uh, showing the, the world goodwill that was through their sports and mostly hockey. And uh, I said, these guys, get ready for them because you're, you're going to witness uh, hockey like you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sent people over there. And, of course, the Soviet uh, masters at deceit uh, uh, tried to skate the worst they could skate and shoot the worst they could <laughs> shoot and pass the worst they could pass and and they told Vladislav Trecek uh, don't don't stop anything let them all go in and uh, it, uh, and, uh, no one no one could have uh, proved to me that uh, a watching of a Larry Harlama for Yakishev that they couldn't play the, the game of hockey and uh, I could have brought a little bit of of that to the fact that uh, Lars Eric Schuberg was at our training camp and he said, Bobby, uh, these guys can play. Uh, don't <laughs> let, let this is in 74. He said, don't let them uh, undermine you. Uh, they are great hockey players. And mm-hmm. uh, I could have brought that same thing, that same thinking to uh, the the 72 team. Uh, as, it, as it was, uh, it worked out to the best. It was a great series, and it was one of, one of my biggest disappointments in my entire career, not being able to represent Canada. We spoke a little bit earlier, Bobby, about your time with the Rangers. You played five exhibition games in 1981 with the Broadway Blue Shirts at the suggestion of Herbie Brooks. Tell us a little bit about those games with the Rangers, uh, any impression of the New York fans, and uh, about Coach Brooks. I, li- I liked Herbie Brooks a great deal. He uh, 
he thought the same way about the game of hockey as I did, and as Anders and Alfie and Lars Eric did. And uh, my only disappointment there was uh, when I went to camp, both Alfie and Anders were on the injured reserve list, and uh, uh, we went to Finland for training camp, and I never uh, was on the ice, not one shift with my two old line mates, Alvia and Anders, uh, because they were they were injured. And I, I think things could have been different uh, had I been able to play with them and if they would carried me until I got in shape again because I'd missed uh, a whole year of hockey and I missed two training camps. So I, I, I was a little bit out of shape and I was uh, getting up there towards 40 and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I was I was starting to feel the lumps and uh, I just, just wished that I'd been able to help Herbie and the uh, and the Rangers, uh, I, I thank them for allowing me to, to spend a month of my uh, at the end of my career over in Finland in training camp with uh, with with the uh, Rangers. A great man, Herb Brooks, that's for sure, Bobby. Well, it's been an honor and a pleasure speaking with you tonight, Mr. Ho. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us back up here in New York. Well, I, I'm, I'm so pleased to speak with all um, my people in New York, uh, uh, people that I've come to honor and uh, 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 spend time with and uh, hope that those people, Randall and and uh, uh, and the folks running our country, can get together and and uh, get us back on the the, the playing service in in the right form. Thanks, guys. I hope so, Bobby. Thanks again, and you take care, Bobby. All the best. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Great great talking with folks from New York. That's the immortal Bobby Hull, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we'll talk with former Yankee Rupert Jones. So stick around, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We're back. We're back. Great to talk to the immortal Golden Jet, Bobby Hull. We are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in beautiful downtown Merrick, Long Island, New York. Uh, the lockout of MLB players by MLB owners still continues. What What are your feelings when the news came down at the deadline uh, last week that no deal had been brokered? Uh, they were not even talking. They have now set the date for opening day as, thanks, Brian, April 15th, Jackie, Jackie Robinson Day. Now, they they spoke today. Things aren't going well. And what a tragedy if uh, these millionaires are not all wearing number 42 and standing on the sidelines being introduced, honoring Jackie Robinson on opening day. Uh, the, it, it's not happening, folks. I don't think it will happen. Uh, deadlocked is uh, the way they call things today. And uh, did you really expect anything? I didn't expect anything. Well, in the meantime, let's keep the sports memories rolling along with our next guest. He was the first player selected in the 1976 Major League Baseball expansion draft by the Seattle Mariners. Two-time All-Star. World champion in 1984 with the Detroit Tigers. We, of course, remember him here from his time with the Bronx Bombers. He has a new book out, folks, on Amazon. You can find it. It has a tremendous message, and we'll talk about that. It's titled, Never Give Up, a Memoir of Baseball and Traumatic Brain Injury. It's great to welcome to the show tonight, Rupert Jones. Rupert, good evening. Good evening to you, too, Bill. How are you doing today? We're doing fine. We're doing fine, sir. We had a, a decent day here in New York and uh, looking forward to another uh, heavy week coming up. But uh, other than that, fine. How are things out in California? You know, it's a little cooler than we, what we normally get this time of year, you know, but uh, the last few days have been a little cooler, but the sun still comes out and I'm sure it's not as bad as other parts of the country. No, and we're still vertical, and uh, we have that to be thankful for, Rupert. That's, that's the main thing. <laughs> now, hey, uh, you, t- you talked about the, uh, the strike, uh, uh, so consequently, uh, well, the, the lockout. They, they, they didn't come to any kind of agreement? Or, no, or not today. Hold them up. It's, Just hold them up. Oh, it, the, what do you think, Rupert? It's the, it's the S with the two lines through it. <laughs> that's what's holding things up. Money. It's it's all about the the Benjamins and and that's what's holding these guys up. They had talks today, they were fruitless. Uh, deadlocked is what uh, the I think the commissioner came out and, and called it. Each one says it's the other's fault. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm just uh, sick about it and, and uh, I wish they were playing baseball in Florida and Arizona, Rupert. That's for sure. Well, uh, I know we went through a few of those ourselves when I played. So I can understand, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I can kind of sympathize with both sides. Uh, they are trying to hammer out a deal that's going to be beneficial to either both or baseball. Right. I think the most important thing is they need to look out for the, for the game of baseball. For the game. For baseball. It, I hope we don't cause irreparable damage, Rupert. But we'll, we'll get to that later on. I want to talk to you about you had a scholarship to play at Arizona State. Oregon State and the University of California to play football. Yes, I did. I had opportunity. Well, I had I had opportunities maybe. Yeah. Uh, 
I was, a, I, I was a pretty good football player. I only played football one year in high school, my senior year. And I, I, I had a very successful year. Uh, as a matter of fact, my team, we won the championship that year. And from what I understand, they haven't won a championship since. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Well, uh, with the Omaha Royals now, Rupert, I want to talk to you about that. Uh, you hit 262 with 19 dingers and 73 ribbies in half a season with the Omaha Royals. You got called up to the majors in 1976, and you were the hero of your second major league game. You went two for five and drove in three to lead the Royals over the White Sox. You remember that ball game? You know, man, my memory is not as good as it, not, not as good as it should be. So for me to say I do remember that game, I would be, I would be totally feel. No worries, Rupert, because I don't remember it either. So, so, <laughs> so we'll just <laughs> we'll just move on to the next. Uh, uh, Whitey Herzog, he called you one of the top three prospects in uh, the Royals organization. And he said you were most likely to be left unprotected in, in the draft, but you were picked up by the Mariners in the expansion draft. And they say that Danny Kay uh, drew your name as the first pick for the Mariners. How about that? Uh, I got to meet Mr. Kay, and uh, what a wonderful man he was. Uh, opening day, he was there. Uh, he was there in the spring training. He met us briefly, but opening day, he was there. We got we got chance to really see him. Uh, that was probably one of the best days of my baseball career, opening day in 1977, to be in the starting lineup. Even though I had to face Frank Tamana, of course. But yeah, he was other tough. Than that, it, was, it was a great day. Yeah. Oh, and at, that particular, at that particular time, before he, before he hurt his arm, he was real tough, man. Yeah, he threw smoke back then. Then he, he had to change his whole repertoire after he hurt his arm, and he went to be more of a finesse pitcher. Bill? And see, that's what everybody thinks. Frank always was a finesse pitcher. He just had a fastball. Oh. Frank could throw a curveball for a strike. He could throw his changeup for a strike. He threw, and, and he threw hard. When he lost his fastball, he still had his changeup and he still had his uh, curveball. Yeah, we that's had him for a... He went on the win. I, mean, he, I think he won, what, 240 games in the big league? We had him here for a bit in New York. He was fine. He was, yeah. he was good. Frank Tanana. Excellent guy. Now, you were a fan favorite in Seattle. You, you, you had some great range in center field. Uh, tell us about your time in Seattle overall. Uh, my time in Seattle was, was very, very, uh, very good to me. Uh, I played there three years. I had two good years, and the year I didn't, I didn't, play, I didn't perform well, I had a couple of injuries. I had, I had, two, major, I had two major surgeries within six months of each other. It was the 1978 season. So consequently, my year was kind of hampered by being injured all the time. Mm-hmm. In 79, I really came back and had a great year. Uh, I bet I, I had better Julio Cruz, who recently passed away. The teammate of mine, he recently passed away. Yes, Julio uh, Cruz, remember him. God rest Julio. Uh, a good ball player. He's a great ball player, man. Yeah. Now, now, how did you feel about being traded to the Yankees, Rupert? I looked at, you know, I, I saw that as an opportunity to really, uh, you know, somebody really wanted me, and New York was 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 the place. And uh, you could, you know, play in New York, and, and, and the Yankees want you, it's it, it is their honor. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I had, unfortunately, I had a couple of incidents that happened there that, that, that changed the 
I can change the direction of my whole life. The one year in New York, I can change the direction of my whole life. And uh, at the time, uh, I really didn't understand it. I didn't know. But over over the years, I've gotten I've gotten you know gotten to understand it better. And I wrote about it in my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, my book is called. It's actually the hashtag Never Give Up. I put the hashtag in there to be to be in the 2020s. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, c- computer and digital. <laughs> yeah. And the hashtag and the hashtag sign you know basically distinguishes it from any other Never Give Up book. Definitely. But, uh, That's a, a very good point, Rupert. Yeah. Good job. Yes. Uh, and uh, so I wrote about my life in my book, and it's it talking about the year 1980, of course, that, that, that changed the direction of my life. Now, how did Mr. Steinbrenner treat you while you were here? Mr. Steinbrenner, uh, uh, you know, he, he, was a great, he, was a great, he was a great owner, man. Mm-hmm. He took care of his players. He did. George took care of his players. I don't care. Don't let nobody tell you anything different. His players didn't want for nothing. Okay, we'd go on a road trip, and basically he was uh, in Cleveland. He had a restaurant in Cleveland, so we'd go to a restaurant in Cleveland, and we, you know, five or six of us would have a two thousand dollar bill, <laughs> and they would just say the boss, but the boss paying. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And every year, and every year, and uh, I think uh, every year the. The, the uh, HBCU held a football game at Yankee Stadium, the only football game at Yankee Stadium. Right. Okay? Yeah. And then uh, in spring training, we always, you know, the two years I was there in spring training, we always went to a college and played a college. Florida State one year, North Carolina the next year. But George was a very, very, very generous man. Did I tell you, and Rupert... He, and, of of any, uh, I've spoken to a lot of former Yankees that played during the Steinbrenner era, and none of them have anything bad to say about the boss. I don't have anything bad to say about him either. Mm-hmm. And do you think that do you think that he would be concerned about making money nowadays compared to winning baseball games? That is why he turned the Yankees around because George didn't want to make, you know, George wanted to make money. Don't get me wrong, but winning was more important than making money. It was. No, he he uh, he would be turning over, uh, looking at the stuff that's going on today, Rupert. That's for sure, and uh, it's not the same without without uh, George Steinbrenner. And uh, someday he he probably will enter the portals up in Cooperstown as as a Hall of Famer. Because he why, why isn't he why isn't he in the Hall of Fame now? Uh, I don't know. I I think that uh, too many people may be against it that, that that are looking at it. But I I think that he had an impact and changed the game of baseball, Rupert. And and that's part you know a, one of the criteria for being in the Hall of Fame. And and he had an impact on the game, and uh, it was positive. Look here, man. Steinbrenner put New York back on the map in baseball. Yeah. New York is on the map in baseball. Guess what? Baseball thrives. Every night when I played with the Yankees, we played played behind a full house. Right. We go on the road, it was a full house. We go home, it was a full house. Okay? When I played with the Mariners, we got sellout opening day, and the game the Yankees came to town. (laughs) Those, Those were our sellout. Opening day. And all the games in the Yankees came to town. They do draw on the road, Rupert. That's for sure. You go, you go to Tampa Bay, 
and nobody's down there except for when the Yankees come in. Yeah, that's the way it is. And you know, and and, and being a player, oh man, the play, uh, the fans are all over the hotel. Yeah, they're all over the place. Unfortunately, uh, I'm a Met fan, and I've been going through some rough times. But uh, especially now, Rupert, we just get Max Scherzer, everything's looking good, and there's no games. (laughs) You know, so if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all, like they say. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Okay. What do you feel about them? You know, they they, they want more playoff games. Uh, they want you know they want to bring in more playoff teams and and and, and, and things like that. What do you think about all that? I think things are fine just the way they are. I don't think they need. I, you don't want to be like the NHL. The NHL, almost everybody makes the playoffs. You can have a losing record and, and, and be in the playoffs. I, I don't want to see that happen to baseball. I think everything is fine the way it is. Well, you know, basically, you know, they, sometimes they, they, they make changes to make changes. Mm-hmm. I understand they want to make the shift illegal. Right. You know, or you can't, you can't do the shift. Why, why, why do they want to do that? Uh, the, Add more offense. Get, get, let these guys hit. Uh, I don't see why they couldn't be like Ted Williams and, and uh, hit it uh, the other way. Hit it where they ain't, like we Willie Keeler said back in, in the 1800s. Hit them where they ain't. <laughs> That's it. I, I think, it, I think it, uh, it, it would make the be- hitters a better, it them better hitters if they, try, if they try to hit the ball the other way. The, the, these guys don't want to do it, Rupert. You know, the, 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 that's the way the, that's the way the, the, they're cut these days. These guys, uh, I don't understand it myself. But, uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm just, I'm just an innocent, I'm just an innocent baseball uh, purist, and I just, you know, it, it, it bothers me how they want to say, well, if this guy's a pool hitter and all he wants to do is pull, how come I keep up my defense over there? Why, right. Why my defense got to be somewhere where he's not going to hit the ball? That's true. I, I understand, Rupert. You're preaching to the choir. I, I say the same thing. Uh, I, you don't make the adjustment. Make no. You don't make the adjustment. I want to ask you, Rupert, how did you feel about leaving the Yankees and getting traded to the Padres? Uh, you know, I, I was disappointed at first, but, I, you know, I, I, uh, I basically understood the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they couldn't count on me because I had been hurt twice that year, and, I, you know, and, you know, look hindsight. Uh, I was I wasn't ready to play in spring training because I still had some issues from the head injury. See, everybody right. looked at my injury as a shoulder injury, but the head injury was the one that was the worst. And the head injury really, really uh, crippled me. Is that you when know, you you I ran knew. into the the wall in Oakland, Rupert? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, folks should look that up and and see if that's out on YouTube. But what a what a horrible accident that was! Right, and see that was that was a major thing that happened to me. Yeah. Okay. And back in 1980, you know, we didn't you know we we didn't look at head injuries in, in, in that way. No. But we you know we can change an individual that can change and not know that he's changed. That's part of the message of Rupert's book, folks. Is is. Uh, 
the head injuries and how they weren't they weren't catered to back in those days, back in the eighties, uh, and they should have been because there were guys getting hurt, careers being altered because of things like this. I'll tell you a little. I'll, I'll give you a little history, right quick. Mm-hmm. Something that I didn't know until 2012. Gene Monahan said before they could get me off the field in Oakland, they had to get me to start breathing again. Oh, boy. Evidently, I had stopped breathing. Well, okay. Yeah. Oh boy. You Not... know what? You know what happens when you stop breathing? What happens to your brain when you stop breathing? Ah, uh, yeah. Not good, Rupert. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it, 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 you know, it's in my book along with my, my my whole history. You know, even back when I was a kid in Texas, and I talked about moving to California, Oregon, mm-hmm. you know, going to minor league baseball, major league baseball. So I go through a chronological of, 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 of my life, chronology of my life. Good read. Uh, I'm should... disappointed you haven't read my book yet, Bill. No, I know I haven't. You know how many books I have on my night table, Rupert? I, uh, people send me books, and I have guys on the show. I, I just can't read them all. I, I have to I have to be like Evelyn Wood and get a speed reading course going here. <laughs> oh, hey, I know. And then you got a full-time job, too. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. Yeah, it, it, it's tough, but... It, it, I have no excuse. I have no excuse. Let me ask you a question, Bill. Do yeah. you still enjoy what you're doing? Is what was that, Rupert? I didn't get you. Do, do you still enjoy what you're doing? Oh yeah, yeah. I went. I went to college for this, and and uh, yeah, I enjoy it. I, uh, I I just talked to Bobby Hull before you. Uh, you know, an American icon, Bobby Hull. I mean. I enjoy talking to you guys. I enjoy, you know, setting guys like you up on the program. I enjoy talking, L- love talking sports, especially to to guys uh, who are, who are out of the game now. I, I like, uh, as I say, bringing my baseball cards to life. You know, that's what I enjoy. <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah. We got Rupert Jones with us tonight on the program. I got to ask you, Rupert, about uh, you. Uh, as we said, you won the series with Detroit. How about Rooftop Rupert? Tell us about that. Uh, I got a story in my book. I'll tell you one of the stories in my book. Okay? Go ahead. So, just for you, 1984, I'm with the Tigers, and I faced. We go into Chicago, and I faced Tom Seaver. Oh, boy. Well, I faced Tom Seaver for the first time in my career in 1981. And the first time I, I, I faced him, I got a triple off of him uh, to to beat him. Nice. Seventh inning. Uh, I got a triple off, off the left center field wall, and I and I beat him with the, with the, with the, with the base and loaded triple. I missed the grand slam by, I don't know, by ever so much. Mm-hmm. So the next time I faced Tom Seaver, he throws me a cut fastball. And he breaks my back. The next time we see Seabro, he breaks my back again. <laughs> so now, fast forward three years. I'm in, I'm in Detroit now. He's with the White Sox. I come up the first time. He throws me the first and, and cuts fastball. He breaks my back again. So he's <laughs> broken three bats in a row. Off of, you know, I, I broke three bats in a row off him. I, so I get mad. I kind of got upset. So Larry Herndon had a bat that was bigger than the bat I used. And I asked Larry, I said, Larry, let me use this bat. 
He said, for what? I said, I want to hit with it. Mm-hmm. He said, how you going to get him out your kitchen? You can't get the, that little bet you got, you can't get him out. <laughs> I said, Larry, let me have a bet. It was like a 35-35. Yeah. So I go to home plate, and he cocks his arm, and he throws it, and I drop the barrel that big on here on that ball, and it took off. I said, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and I looked up, and I said, it's going in the second back. Of course, I'm talking, I mean, this is a running monologue to myself. Yeah. And then, and then I looked up again, and the ball disappeared into the night. Right. It cleared the whole, cleared the whole roof at Comiskey Park. Yeah. Now, now, not many guys have done that. Hit, hit the ball clear out of uh, over the right field roof. Now, I didn't know you hit that one off Seaver. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, he was my boyhood idol, Rupert. Well, you had a good one. Yeah, yeah. You had a good one. With with the Mets, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Rooftop Rupert got his his nickname for hitting hitting, uh, the ball over the right field roof. And uh, that was a good one. Not many guys have done that. And uh, something to be said for that, Rupert. Rupert Jones with us tonight on the program. Now. And you have, hey, hold on. You had Bobby Hall on before me. You had the great Bobby Hall on. That's right. I told my wife. I told my wife. So, baby, he got Bobby Hall on. Bobby Hall is <laughs> one of the greatest hockey players ever played a game. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he, he made me a little nervous too. You know, I I get nervous talking to the, these immortal guys. Thanks God, I got I got a regular superstar like you to talk to now. Just calm me down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine Bobby making you feel intimidated. Bobby got to be a great guy. Oh, he's a, he is a great guy, but still, you know, I, there's a couple of guys I've spoken to, Rupert, that the, you know, you, you feel honored and, and, uh, you feel reverential toward them. One guy that, uh, that comes to mind is the big O, Oscar Robertson. That's royalty, man. Yeah. The big O was another That's one. Royalty. That's yeah. A, who, who's the other one? Who's the other one? The, the, the Oscar, Oscar, the big O, the big O. Yeah. He's, oh man, he's he's royalty. Yeah, I mean his story. He's got some stories, and uh, he lived a life, boy. I tell you, Oscar Robertson. He he's a great one. I watched him play, man. I tell you what, those guys in the sixties—they played a different brand of basketball, didn't they? Yeah, it's it's not the same anymore. I mean, now now it's uh, you know. Shooting the threes and dunking. There, there was no passing the ball like there was with uh, with uh, Oscar and Kareem. Uh, you know, n- not nothing like that anymore, Rupert. I don't. That that team you had. I know you. I know you might be a Mets fan, but you got to be a Knickerbocker fan from the seventies too, don't you? Walk oh yeah, you? with with uh, <laughs> Willis Reed and Frazier and DeBusher and and Bill Bradley. Bill Bradley. Yeah. Oh yeah. Barnett, yeah, Dick Barnett, fallback baby with that fallback jump shot. Yeah, no, what what a great club that was. We used to listen uh, in my bedroom to the transistor radio of the the Knicks and the Lakers. Yeah, against Chamberlain and and Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. That was some. So I was a Lakers fan, but they used to. I still, I still admire the way they play basketball, man. They play, they play basketball the way it's supposed to be played. That's right. And then, then they went to the Showtime Lakers with Pat Riley, with uh, James Worthy and and uh, Magic, Magic, and Kareem, 
uh, who else? A bunch of guys. Uh, they were they were immortals Cooper. too. Michael Cooper. Yeah, my, yep. It's tough. Bob McAdoo played. That's I, I was just gonna say, Roop. I was just gonna say when you have Bob McAdoo sitting on your bench, man, you you got some team. <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. G- give me some guys that were, were that were tough for you, Rupert. You mentioned Tom Seaver. Who who else gave you a tough time? All of them. All of them. Yeah. Gave you a tough time, man. I hit two fifty, man. Come on, I hit two fifty. Two fifty Everybody gave you trouble. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I know, but yes, Seaver was was a great one. Now I, I want to ask you too, Rupert. Along the way, to someone through your career, who made a difference to you? Someone you could look to and say, "This guy made a difference in my career." You know, you got. I got to go through heroes. You know, when I first came up, uh, when I was in the minor leagues, I, I, I had a, a guy in minor league camp. I wrote about my book. And Roy Turner. Mm-hmm. Roy Turner was not a good baseball player as far as talent was concerned. Yeah. Roy Turner, Roy, Roy Turner came to the park every day. And he gave everything he had. He, he worked hard every day. He gave everything he had. And I looked at him and I admired him. A lot of people would always say, well, what are you doing here? He can't play. But I knew why he was there. Mm-hmm. Because he inspired me. Okay? Uh... Willie Horton was another inspiration to me. When I when I played with him, I had, I had my best year when I played with Willie Horton. Great Willie man. Horton, Great man. I've, I've had him on the program, Rupert. Yeah. And w- when he tells you the stories about being in Detroit in 1968, uh, that's some real stuff. That, that, that takes you past the baseball field and uh, into the streets. And uh, he's talking about American history there. When he w- w- still had his uniform on, went downtown Detroit to try to calm the riots. Uh, that, that's some amazing stuff. Yes, sir. Well, he's a, he, 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 he's very inspirational to me. Mm-hmm. You know, he, another one. Okay. Great man. Now, now, what possessed you to write your book, Rupert? Tell us that. How'd you start out uh, with the idea, and uh, who got you started? Well, I had been suffering from things over the years. Right. I suffered, you know, I had suffered from, 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 from some mental, mental stuff over the years. And it, you know, it, got, it, it didn't get better over time. It got worse. And I couldn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't know, I didn't have an answer for it. I didn't have an answer for it. But I, I I I kept trying to do the best I could. But you know I was I, I was I was fighting hard. And then I'm I'm listening to uh, well Justin Morneau. You remember Justin Morneau? On the, the twins. On the twins. Yeah. Well, he slid in the second base and he hit the he, he, his head hit the second baseman's knee. Oh boy! And he was out of baseball for six months to yeah. six months to almost a year when he was not really functional in baseball. And I got to thinking, well, hold on, hold on, this guy, this guy hit someone's knee. I, I ran into a wall. I was knocked out. So all of a sudden now, I said, well, hold on. And then about that time, 2010, the concussion thing, the football players started coming out. Right. And so I, I started doing some research on, on, on concussion, head injuries, and, the, and I noticed that a lot of things that they talked about, I myself had went through and had experienced. So yeah. over a five, six-year period, I was, I was getting all this information together, and 
you know, the, you know, like the the, uh, the article I read, you know, I got, I got about Gene Monahan. Yeah, Gene Monahan. You know, Gene Monahan, the trainer for the Yankees. The trainer, right? Yep. They asked him when, when he retired. You know, what was the toughest injury you ever had to attend to? He said, Rupert Jones. Oh man. He said he ran into the wall, chasing a chasing a fly ball, and not you know, and got not and he was knocked out. He said, and we had to get him off the field. Yeah, we had to get him start breathing again before we can get him off the field. Well, that was the first time I heard that. Mm -hmm. I had never heard that before. And uh, so I got all this information together, and I, and I started putting it together. So I started writing the book. And uh, it took me about six, seven years. My wife, my wife was very impatient with me. When are you going to finish this? You started this. <laughs> but I would have lapses where I couldn't, I really couldn't focus. I really couldn't concentrate and do, do what, I, you know, what was necessary to do. Right. Time. Yeah. Understood. But I end up, we end up finishing it. And if you read, when you read the book, you will see that it's a good product. It's a real good product. Well, we got to run, Rupert. Uh, it's been a pleasure. I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to be with us here back in New York. The book again, folks. Check it out on Amazon. It's hashtag never give up. A memoir of baseball and traumatic brain injury. I want you to stay well, Rupert, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Bill. Thank you very much. Have a good night. That's Rupert Jones, folks. Radio. It's a sound salvation. It's cleaning up the nation. That'll do it for me tonight. On Sports Talk New York, I'd like to thank my guests, the immortal Golden Jet, Bobby Hull and Rupert Jones, my engineer, Brian Graves, and you guys for joining us. See you next on March the 20th. I got umpire Gary Darling and Edgardo Alfonso, the Fonz. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.